a short series just at the moment. Well, first of all, why don't you just stand up and um, wave at someone rather than getting too close. But once you've waved a bit, you can take a seat back down again. Church is very much about the horizontal, but it's also about the vertical. So I'm doing a short series seeking to look at, at, at God's way of dealing with weariness, what God has to tell us about being able to deal with weariness, fatigue, and depletion. And we need to take it seriously due to the cumulative effects of earthquakes, the mosque massacre, and of course what we're facing as a country again today, the pandemic. Let me just pray for us as a nation. Father, we really pray that you will help the health um, teams, Lord, right across everywhere where they're operating to get on top of um, this current situation quickly. We pray, God, that we might be um, uh, look, looked after by you, that you would get involved. And we pray for our world, Lord. It's so big, it's hard to pray prayers that are meaningfully full of faith. But we thank you that you are going to bring an end to this pandemic. And we thank you that you're working in and through it in our lives. We've got to just focus on you, Lord, not on, not on um, being COVID-free. Our safety, whether there's COVID in the world or not, is you. Just like David said, you are my, my refuge. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. You are my healer. And Lord, we just look to you in all of these areas, but we pray that you will bring... Um, Bring protection to this world and that COVID will finish quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. So these things affect us. They affect us in all sorts of ways. And on top of that, there's the normal things of life. And we go through some tough stuff. Some of you are going through tough stuff right at the present time. There have been lost, uh, loved ones that have, that have been lost. Um, they've, they've passed on. And there are things happening in relationships. And there are things in careers. And all sorts of things that just happen in life. And on top of that, again, is the fact that the Bible says he's created us to be involved in ministry, that he wants his church to flourish, and he's got places where all of us can serve. And so there's all sorts of competing demands upon you and me for our time and for our energy. And, and we are responsible for our well-being. Look, if you found the last 10 years to be depleting in any way, let's, let's begin to build with everything that we can to become really healthy and to have plenty in the tank, so to speak, uh, as we go forward. And so we need to ensure that we have good rhythms happening in our life. If we run down in an area of our life and um, we think that just a, a short, sharp burst for a month will bring us back to full health, full energy... We're fooling ourselves. What we need is we need a lifestyle that brings good rhythms into our lives so that we can be as healthy and as energized and as well as we possibly can be. Sensible? Yeah, very sensible. So we need um, to develop daily, weekly, and annual rhythms into our lives. And we're body, soul, and... Spirit. So there are at least three gauges. If you think of it like your car, there are at least three gauges that we need to be monitoring on the dashboard. The first one is the physical gauge. And we're created like a living machine. We, we, we are living, so unlike a machine, we need exercise and good nutrition to keep going strong. True? 
And when we're younger, it's possible to neglect or abuse our body. You guys don't know it yet, but it's very, very possible to go for years, even a whole decade, without really doing anything in the physical area, and you sort of get away with it. But if you ask someone who's older, they'll tell you that eventually you get bigger and larger, and you can do less if you're not working on the physical side of our lives. And so 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 says, watch this gauge. It says, as the saying goes, exercise is good for your body, but religion helps you in every way. It promotes life now and forever. These are words that are worthwhile and should not be forgotten. And they start with, exercise is good for your body. And so I want to, want to well, first of all, I want to just give a shout out to people that are on medications that mess with your metabolism and you gain weight whether you work hard in the physical area or not. And I too have that now for, for uh, a 15 months, and it's difficult, and it's not your fault, and I don't want you to be sitting under any shame if you're on medications and you're just in a, in a difficult place. It's part of what just comes with that. But as we age, we reach a stage where if you don't lose, uh, use it, you lose it. Right. And if you're going to exercise in only one stage of your life, the best time to exercise is the second half of your life. Because you're at that stage then when if you don't use it, you will definitely lose it. And so I want to ask you, whether you're young or whether you're, you're older, what are the rhythms that you've got operating in the physical area of your life? Um, how many days are you out walking or biking or running or swimming? And what, what are you aiming at for every week? Sandra and I are seeking to walk um, five days a week for an hour a day. We want to get to the end of the day with our watch or our phone and know that we've done how many? At least 10,000 steps. And, and you have a little woohoo when it's 13 or 17, you know? You know what I mean? Julia Grace was here and she said she wouldn't take her watch off until she was sitting at the keyboards. Do you remember this? She, and she made this comment I don't want to lose those steps. <laughs> as if they didn't count if she, they weren't on her watch. But it's just whatever motivates you, get out and, and keep going. You know, Dean McLaughlin came around the other day and said he was going up the Bowen Vale track. So I thought, right, I haven't been up there. So the two of us headed up together up Bowen Vale. And then next Friday, I took Sandra up there because we'd never been there before. It's, how many have done Bowen Vale? If you haven't, if your hand's not up, make it, put it on your hit list. Make it one of the things that you're going to do. So keep watching that physical gauge and, and keep that exercise and good eating. And, and I say this to myself, good eating up. Okay? So the second gauge that it talks about is right here, and it's the spiritual gauge. We have a spiritual gauge that we need to keep an eye on in our lives. And, and it says religion helps you in every way. It prom promises life now, a flow of energy, a flow of health, a flow of life now and forever. And, and I, I really want to emphasize the importance of this area because our destination beyond, our, beyond this life depends on this gauge. If we don't get this gauge operating, and if you're not a Christian here today, you can tap on the spiritual gauge as much as you like, and it will not move. 
because it will not move until you actually make a decision to um, look at Jesus Christ, to find out what, why he came to this earth, and then to determine to follow him. So, you see, um, if you, have you yet figured out that life is not all about you? That you're important, I'm important, but our life is to be about other people. That's what Jesus says our lives to be about. And, and we're to focus on blessing other people and particularly helping to build God's community. And God's community all around the world is called church. He's got these little communities and sometimes huge and massive communities around the world. And you can go from New Zealand to another place in New Zealand or to other countries and you get there and you find this is like home because it's God's community. We're doing similar things. And God takes note of all the cost that, we, that it costs us to put others first at significant times in our life. And he says to us, if you follow me in this way, I will reward you. I will take note of every time you put other people first in your life instead of just concentrating on yourself. He says, ultimately, if you serve the building of my kingdom and the growing of churches, you will not miss out. I will reward you. But it begins, that gauge gets started and starts to work when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And again, I want to say, if you're here as a non-Christian or you've, uh, you think you're coming and you think you're a Christian just because your parents are Christians, I don't know what it is for you, but if you're here, you have to make your own choice to decide to, to um, follow Jesus Christ and to ask him to forgive, us for, for, to forgive you for your sin. You see, you have to acknowledge that God exists. I mean, how else did this planet and each person get here without God? You know, the interrelated intricacy of our bodies points to a creator. Think about an eye and the way that it focuses and works and in and out and sending messages. If you think millions of years created that, you've got more faith in evolution than it takes me to believe in a creator God who's good and put everything together. How did this planet that sustains life get in just the right place to be able to see life continue on? You see, the, boy, the story that the Bible explains is that God is, and we were created to share life with him. But sin came into the world, and it's affected you, and it's affected me, and our wrongdoing separates us from God. And rather than wipe us out and start again with another race, God's son Jesus became one of us and died and was punished for every single thing that I've done wrong and you've done wrong. This is the message of the Bible. This is the gospel. And he was punished so that the punishment would be completely taken and God the Father could forgive us because of what Jesus did. And so it's so important that each person has a moment when they meet Jesus and they ask for forgiveness and they begin a relationship with him. But just talking to everyone here who's a Christian now, as Christians, it's so easy to cruise in our ongoing relationship with him. To not communicate with him is so easy. To not set time aside to study scripture and to listen to what the scripture is saying to us to not pray, to not meditate, to not hear the Holy Spirit's voice. It's so easy to get into a period of time when our, our life is like that. And I know what it's like to live life dry, 
when, I'm, when I feel as if I'm, I've moved away from God and I haven't spent that time so that I, I have that sense of God flow in my life. And I know what it's like to be absolutely spiritual, spiritually full too. And I'd rather live like that absolutely spiritually full. So I've got to watch the gauge. Where is it? Where is it? So what disciplines do you have happening in your life so that you know that gauge is, is up there with the full side? When do you connect with God? When do you study? What solitude do you plan for annually getting alone so that you can be with God? Where does that happen in your annual plan? What input do you go after that's just beyond even church but is kind of in the conference um, scene? What are, what are, you, what are you trying to, to um, establish in terms of your routines? You know, Sandra and I are looking forward to a new routine where we have decided we are going to have daily journal time and then share our journals with each other every single day. We're really looking forward to that. We are going to have it all set up. We're going to go do our hour walk in the morning, and then we're going to come back with our breakfast, and we're going to open our Bibles up and our journals, and we're going to start writing and listening and sharing. And we're going to be sitting in a seat that's in the warmest part of this house with the sun just coming in so that we love being there. You know, we've got to be deliberate. Otherwise, these things won't happen. And if we're neglecting the spiritual or the physical, we can't run in the way and live our Christian life at the speed and the pace and the ability to cope that God would like us to and we would like to too. And then there's the emotional gauge. And the emotional has to do with the soul. And a lot of people haven't even really considered the emotional gauge and other people are well aware of it. But I like to think of each of these gauges as being like one of these water tanks. You've got to get the physical gauge so that it's not down here, but the water level's way up there. We've got to get the spiritual gauge so that the water level's not here, but way up there. And on, on the old water tanks, where's the tap? And so many of us, we think, oh, I'm doing okay, because you turn the tap on, spiritual, physical, emotional, and something flows. But it doesn't mean there's any stack up and reservoir, and especially in the emotional area, because the emotional tank won't fill with a fast charge. The emotional tank measures how happy you are, how much joy you've got in your life, how much hope is inside of you, how much resilience and energy you've got for life. And yes, you may turn the tap on, but if you suddenly have to draw on that because you're in a situation of uh, uh, difficulty or discouragement has come over your life or relational conflict is happening, and these things are depleters. They use, and they use our, our emotional energy, Right? And, and if, if we haven't got emotional energy way up high, we'll run out. You know, I remember a time when, when um, my, I drew on the tank and, it, and there was nothing there. I'd said for several months, I'd said separated from Sandra. And my happiness level just went... And I remember having several days where I just stayed in my room. I thought, I've never been like this before. Wouldn't go out. Just stayed in my room. 
until I made a decision and realized what God was saying to me in it and asked her to become my girlfriend. I slowly started to build that up again in the, in the um, energy level. You've probably gone through things, different reasons, but things like, like that as well. You know, sometimes these feelings and thoughts and, and the sense of discouragement and, and no, no resilience are because we're under attack from the enemy. But I think many times it's not necessarily the enemy. It's because we haven't been filling that up with happiness and with joy and with laughter. When did you last laugh? I was driving down the road the other day and I remembered the Hope and Joy series that Robert brought to us uh, just... just um, a while ago, a year ago, and, and uh, I just started to laugh in my car. I laughed at the people next, or no, I didn't. I laughed with the people next to me and I, in the, the, their car, and I started laughing at the circumstances of life. And I just, I just thought, I've got to release this. I've got to get filled up. Now, God's recovery, I'm, this is the answer. God's recovery and refreshment rhythm is called Sabbath. Say it with me. Sabbath. Say the whole thing. God's recovery and refreshment rhythm is called the Sabbath and sacred festivals. Because Israel was told every week, have a day off. Don't do the stuff you're normally doing. Don't let yourself just go through the routines of normal life. And then you're going to need some holiday time because there's festivals, some of which will go on for a week or longer than a week. And every year, this is to be an annual event for you. And this thought of having a day off starts way back in Genesis chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished his work, and so he rested. And God blessed the seventh day. And he made it special because on that day, he rested from his work. And he made it special because on that day he rested from his work. That's how God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about this for a moment. God works for six days, but he rested on the seventh. And he set a pattern for man to follow. Is it any wonder when we think we don't have to follow that pattern and we do stuff without having day, a day off every single week, that we start to feel the weariness and the tiredness and the depletion to a degree that we're not supposed to. Now, I want to ask you, how many of you think that God needed to rest because of all the work he'd done? The omniscient God, with no limit to his power and strength, he didn't need it at all. But what he did want to do was set up a pattern for human beings. And I believe, too, he wanted to enjoy what he'd done on the previous six days. You are allowed to enjoy that day. You are allowed to enjoy looking back and going, oh, I've got all... Kim, I, you're, a, you're a, a list person. I know you love putting lines through something and a tick, both things, so that... There's just the joy of that. And you can think back and you can go, wow, I'm the same. I love that. So are many of you. We are to take time to be able to rest. Someone gave me a prophetic word just the other day. And they said, John, I see you um, in this next season. I saw a boat. It was a yacht. 
and it was sailing on a beautiful blue sea with blue sky everywhere. Now, that speaks um, multitudes to me because I've got a yachting background. I spent 14 years of my life um, sailing every single holidays uh, away for weeks at a time um, in a yacht. And I've had those days where it's just magic. It's just, wow, they're beautiful. And she said, here's what I feel God said to you. He said, you've, you've been working hard. You've, you've run your race here. And God wants you to know that you can take time to enjoy the next season. When was the last time you and I took time to put our feet up Think about the things that we've been involved in and really enjoy that moment, no matter how long it went on during the day. This is what the Sabbath is about that God was putting for us that's there. We are designed to need rest. Now, that's obvious, but I know so many people and I've gone through so much season of my own life where I, ne- where I haven't lived that. I've just kept going. I've just kept working. I've just moved from not doing that stuff to doing this stuff. And I haven't actually been resting. You know, if I was to do over the last 40 years of my life, I would pay more attention to the Sabbath and having a really good time on the Sabbath. I've sacrificed time with my children and my wife to ministry and and people in the church. No offense to anyone in the church, and I want to be there for people, but I've sacrificed for my kids to the point where they would say, Dad, there were big seasons, especially in our teenage years, where we were less important than everyone else in the church. We came after everyone else that was there. If something happened, you were gone. And I just want to say, men, we do this all the time in our careers. We, get, we, we work, we work, I've got to, I need to, etc., etc., etc. And I became really aware, much more aware of what the Sabbath is when last year I was in Israel. And I certainly saw the legalistic way it can be observed. Every hotel has a Sabbath um, lift. They call it Shabbat, Sabbath, Shabbat. And they have a Shabbat lift. And in that lift, if you get into it, it stops at every floor so that a Jewish person doesn't have to work, i.e. they can get in that lift and they know that if they're on the 8th or the 2nd or 10th, it will stop at their lift, but at their floor. But it is incredibly slow. You don't ever want to get in a Shabbat lift, right? So there's the legalistic thing that's there. But Jesus, Jesus said, hey, the Sabbath is, man isn't made for the Sabbath to fit into the rules of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. Jesus finished by saying people were not made for the good of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the good of the people so they can be refreshed, so that they can have a great time, so that they can... I'll bring up a couple of things. So the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. And if you get the picture here, the disciples were getting, and Jesus was getting told off because they'd been joking around and they'd been wandering through a wheat field and they'd been picking the heads of the grain and apparently you can just eat it. I don't know anything about that, but that's what they were doing. In other words, they were having fun. Can you picture it? They've got food. There's laughter going on backwards and forwards. And some religious people said, don't do that. It's the Sabbath. They're working. They're not allowed. That reminds me of when I was a kid down in Roxburgh. And, and 
um, mum would ask us to pick the raspberries. And so I'd go out and I'd be picking away and, and I'd, I would fill the containers, but I was eating as much as I possibly could through that time. And my dad would come out and he would, he would say, we had to whistle while we were picking raspberries. <laughs> there is no fun in whistling while picking raspberries. You know, I, I became so much more aware. Um, the, our guide was um, a mess- Messianic Jew. In other words, she was a Christian. She was Russian. She had um, come to Israel, and, and uh, um, she, she asked us, can, can, is there any possibility we can have, I can have a day off for Shabbat? She said, I really would love to be able to have the Sabbath with my friends. And I, that piqued my interest because I think in New Zealand, we don't think of the Sabbath anywhere near like that. Flip, this is the most important day in her week. Can I have some time off from showing you guys around because I want to celebrate the Sabbath with my friends. And then the second thing that happened was we got invited to a Shabbat meal. And, and um, this was, again, by a Messianic Jew. And he puts on, he has opened his home up to soldiers and men and women who have, um, uh, in Israel, with no family. Because what happens is whenever there's any conflict, Jews from all around the world, the number of Jews coming home to Israel increases. And the young people come. They want to fight. They want to protect Israel. And so there's a lot of people who have come from various countries around the world, and they don't have anyone. And the Jews don't want anyone to be lonely or to have a slack Sabbath. And so this man, along with many other families, have opened their home up for a Shabbat meal, and it's on the Friday night. And so we got invited to this, and it was incredible. There was food. There was fun. There was toasts. There was storytelling that was taking place. And I I left that night with a completely different idea of how the Jewish people, especially the Messianic Jews, um, celebrate the Sabbath. It was the highlight of their day. I left thinking I would come back every week to this house because of how I've been treated and, and, and welcomed in and the fun and the joy that is going on here. And it reminded me of some of my friends, who, or one of our friends anyway in, in Auckland, who has, has turned Sunday night into a family tea night. And the kids all come over and the grandkids come. And he says, it costs me in food and drink, but... Man, it's worth it. <laughs> and, and Sandra and I have said, you know, when we get back in the same city as our kids, this is what we want to do. We want to have our kids come over so that, and friends too so that we are celebrating together. And they do that on a Friday night as part of the Sabbath. And it begins on the Friday night and then the next day they're in church and, and, and on into the afternoon with friends. And, you know, I, I just thought, wow, I have never highlighted the Sabbath to the degree that they actually are doing here. And they've turned it into something that I would love to be a part of. I wonder how your Sabbath is doing. I wonder how much rest and and refreshment comes out of it. How much fun and laughter and joy and shrieking. Just laughing, you know, because of some joke or some experience or something that's taken place. As I, growing up as a Christian and, and thought about the Sabbath, it was often about what I can't do and I can't do and I can't do. I remember um, 
when I was a youth pastor in, in my 20s and still surfing, um, on a Sunday afternoon, we would often, the group of us that were surfing buddies and our wives and kids, we would often um, just grab some of the old people and, and try to get them out to piha with us. And we'd end up in the, in the afternoon just sitting on the beach, um, talking, sharing. We'd been in church together, and now we had this community life happening as the sun's going down, setting, watching the waves. And I used to think, oh, I probably shouldn't be doing this. This maybe isn't religious enough. Refreshment. God's created the Sabbath as a day when we can step back. If our fun is, is a camera and flowers and finding those special moments, you know, that just make you feel so alive, then that can be part of the Sabbath. It can be, it, it's, it's a day that doesn't need to be by ourselves. It can involve many other family and friends as well. So I want to ask you, how are you getting on with your Sabbath? And the Sabbath is about God. That's the horizontal part about people. But, but the Sabbath is also about recognizing God is first. And for the Christian, it's a time when we never want to put God to the side and just say it's about family. We're losing something. Even just the fact that we stop work on, after six days. Now, we, we generally work five days in New Zealand, but Saturday's probably got a list as long as your arm, and you're doing all sorts of stuff. And, and, and the fact that we stop, you know, we could all earn lots more money if we worked for seven days. But the Sabbath, by saying, no, I'm going to be in God's house, I'm going to be with God's people, I'm going to be resting like God says, is a way of actually putting God first. And saying, God, my getting on in my life doesn't depend on my hard graft and how much work I do and, and all the career stuff that's there. You can open up doors to me that no one can shut. You can open opportunities to me. You can bless our life and our family. So I'm taking time off to rest because you're first. Is that good? Yeah. And you know, as we come and we worship together, it can be the best day of our life. But I wonder what attitude you walk in with. I wonder whether you walk in going, God, you're glorious. Oh, what a joy to worship you today with all these other great-looking people and a few nuts. <laughs> but all these prunes, succulent, beautiful. You know, someone wrote this. The more we want, the more revenue we must produce to get it. The more revenue we must produce, the longer and the harder we have to work. So we build larger homes, buy more cars, take on financial burdens, and then find ourselves having to work harder to pay for it all. More work, less rest. That's the cycle that we can be just trapped into, drawn into, live for decades of our lives in. And God says, no. If you will put me first, if you will trust me, if you will take time off and be with friends and family and celebrate, but put me first and be in my house and glorify me when you come. Don't come with a bad attitude. Come on, make me worship. You're not doing well enough yet. Come on, Carl, dance a bit higher. <laughs> Tell us to clap more, Carl. Come on, come on. But, oh, God, what an opportunity to be here. If no one else worships, count on me.
I'm in. How do you view the Sabbath? Because you know, it's where rest and recreation and putting life into the right priority is established time after time after time. And then there's, just lastly, there's the annual sacred festivals, and they were vital to them too, and I think they equate really well to holidays. Holidays are vital. I've met people in this church who never take, took holidays when they were your age because there was too much work that had to be accomplished, and over time they've shifted to taking holidays. We need to realize that we are created to need this kind of rest and refreshment. So I want to say to you, are you planning your annual holidays early enough and well enough so that you're doing stuff on those holidays that brings you back really ready for a great year? With able to um, be, be, have those tanks, the three gauges, the three tanks filled up so that you can be involved in ministry. You know, God is, is just opening doors of evangelism in this church. People are witnessing it in work situations. We're hearing stories all over. Rowan's taking a team out most Friday nights out into the square, and people are being talked to, and some are committing their lives to Jesus. And this isn't going to stop. This is just God opening us up to being the kind of church that he wants. But we've got to have the resilience. We've got to have the attitude. We've got to have the... the um, emotional wellness to be able to walk into all that he has for us. I've got some questions here for you just to think about, and I'd like us just to sit and think as the music team come and, and maybe just put a little bit of music there as well. What is your attitude to the Sabbath today? Do you want to try something new? Do you want to try starting it on a night time rather than on a morning time? Is it always God first? Or at other times, are you willing to just, no, nah, I haven't got time, God, but I just want to do my own thing. Does it bring me into a playful, meaningful engagement with friends and family? And do I plan my annual holidays enough so I come back refreshed for the new year?